0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Retail Corner. I'm your host, Shelja. And today I have with me an absolutely prolific guest, Mr. John Nordmark, a longtime retail industry specialist and absolutely impressive resume if you just go and see him on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, For all of you, um, if you look up uh, John Nordmark, you will see the first thing that comes up is E-Bags, and he sold for $100 million to Samsonite. And now he's the CEO of itrate.ai. And uh, welcome to uh, my
1: show, John. Thank you, Sheldra. I appreciate getting invited.
0: (laughs) I am absolutely amazed by how you have been a serial entrepreneur. So the first question I have for you is that, yes, E-Bags sold for $100 million. But for me, the most exciting part was that you were working for Samsonite. You worked there for a few years, left Started your business and then, it's years later you go back to them and tell them (laughs) that we need to learn how did you maintain relationships because employees leaving is always a little bit of a tiff. So good relationship management. What do you have to say about that? (laughs) New retailers.
1: Well, you know, even even in this digital age, and you know, we both love digital. It's so much. uh, depends on personal relationships. And I, I think that that will, I mean, I, I can't imagine that ever changing. Uh, digital just improves relationships um, with, with Samsonite. They were a, uh, you know, I worked there 10 years and, and uh, had a lot of good friends there over the years. And, and then when eBag started, Samsonite became a supplier. And uh, and then it became a, you know, it was a business relationship. But I think that, um, you know, they're they're a large company in in, in the tr- super traditional sense and that they were always a little bit um, careful about moving into new products and new new technologies. And, you know, and um, so it, it was just natural for them after it grew, after eBags grew, I guess, to invite it back into the family. But it. Yeah, I, it was a surprise to me.
0: (laughs) Fantastic. I mean, that's, that's a really amazing story. So from then to Iterate, what was the big motivation that led you to leave the retail per se from actually being the person doing the retail to get to a more macro role and opening up a company like Iterate and then looking at evaluating startups? What was the motivation behind Mm -hmm. that?
1: Well, you know, it, back at Ebags, it was a PurePlay.com, and um, we always were dependent on on using the very best tools out there, building the very best tools. Whether the, the ratings and review software that we used was our own, we built it, and and um, there were only five retailers in the world when when we built that software that had that kind of product, and um, and. We knew because we tested everything that um, that we could improve conversion rates um, if we put certain technologies into the site. But we became a EVAGS actually became a um, kind of a test lab for many, many uh, technology startups and many technologies that we built on our own. And so even though eBags was a retailer, it was a digital retailer, and, and it was very, very specialized um, with the technology, technologies we used. I think in uh, 2007, 2008, we were considered one of the top 10 converting websites on the whole web, and um, that came after doing many, 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 many experiments um, through an A-B split testing software, which we also built. Uh, seven years before it even, the term even showed up in Wikipedia um, to figure out what worked and didn't work. So I think, um, you know, from the eBags days, I've been uh, kind of a technologist or an enthusiast, a technology enthusiast from start. eBags wouldn't have made it had we not been, um, you know, very uh, experimental around uh, technologies, okay. you know, like um, all kind of like, like the early versions of um, recommendation technologies, okay. you know, the early versions of maybe split test software, the, the, the ratings and review software. We built tons of dropship software. It was, OK. Yeah.
0: So from from then on to seeing today where everybody's chasing the 5G dream. The first, you know, from a a hardware perspective, looking at the Mm -hmm. infrastructure perspective. So uh, when you look at the retail industry and what Iterate is trying to do and looking at the startups and trying to evaluate the most efficient system, when you look at 5G and there's a lot of hype around it, how Mm -hmm. do you think one of the most important pieces of 5G is going to impact the retail industry?
1: Well, 5G I think is the catalyst to a lot of other technologies working. And um, uh, for instance, uh, AI, you know, can be um, can be accessed a lot easier once the 5G is working. Uh, augmented reality capabilities, um, maybe that could flow into eyeglasses or uh, flow into earbuds or something like that will be facilitated through 5G because 5G will be able to move, you know, it's like, um, a thousand times more data, 10 times faster than what we're getting in 4G, Um, you know, and and, and so all this stuff that is available on the web will be able to flow into places like uh, retail environments in real time. Hmm. And it'll make uh, technologies a lot more uh, actionable, too. So, uh, uh, you know, we see a lot of retailers trying to move more into frictionless um, capabilities like... With a uh, huge convenience store that's global, we've built a, a product that's called Pay at, the pump, Pay at the Pump. So you drive into the gas station, you know, it recognizes your car through an AI which operates in the cameras in the in the gas stations, and then basically, um, you know, begins to interact with your phone, so your phone becomes the payment mechanism, and and the and activates the pump so that you can pump the gas out, and. Um, and those types of capabilities, we're going to see more and more and more as five G comes live. So five G is going to kind of be the connecting tissue between AI, blockchain, um, uh, augmented reality, you know, virtual reality, the the all these technologies that will then be able to enter together, you know, and, and come into new interfaces too, like eyeglasses, which we know all the big. Companies like Google, Facebook, Apple, and Amazon are all working on right now for uh, 2023 launches.
0: Hmm. So, according to you, the whole convergence, like in the last 50 years, that you know, there are these videos that are floating around where you see that, okay, earlier you had a calculator and you had a notepad, and all of that has converged into this tiny little cell phone. Now, -hmm. the next step towards this is either contactless or you have like, you know, uh, the glasses, contact lenses. is it dystopia that we are thinking 10 years from now a billion devices will be there which will all be glasses everybody will be wearing or it will still be a hybrid model for the next 5 years at least where where do you stand on this industry
1: I well, I think it'll be hybrid. But I think what we're going to see is a lot of experiments around how to how you know what kind of interfaces are going to be enabled through, you know, the five G and improved augmented reality, the improved ability to create uh, digital selves or you know those kind of things. Um, the improve the improvement of voice technologies, you know, and and how that can operate through different types of devices, even the usage of like bone conduction and um, um, technologies that kind of interface with your thinking. Um, oh, you know, we're going to see. We know Apple, Facebook, Google, uh, Amazon—they're all working. They've got they're working on glasses that are going to start emerging in 2023. Who knows what what will be in those. Um, But I'm sure there'll be many experiments about, like like, let's say in the world of retailer, you could be walking down an aisle of, you know, a Kroger or King Superstore grocery store and be able to activate ratings and reviews coming from Amazon and see them in your glasses. Or maybe it'll speak to you through your bones, like no one else will hear it, but just uh, through bone conduction coming through your ear piece. And, you know, but we know all these companies are spending tons of money and the billions of dollars on R and D around these things. And so, you know, there'll be a lot of different interfaces that emerge
0: Hmm. So you also, I remember I read an article where you talked about very heavily about the Amazon ecosystem, not just Amazon being a company. And, you know, the speaker echo has entered your kid's room and you are freaking out. Now, on one hand, you know, you are a a proponent of new technologies and all of us need to adapt, all the retail companies need to adapt. But on the other hand, as a personal user, you have all these privacy fears like everyone else. So how do you create a balance between what we need to push to the consumers as entrepreneurs versus where do we draw the line, given that trillions of dollars the companies are doing is pretty much to control people's mind as the conspiracy theory goes. So where do you draw the line? How do you create that balance?
1: Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't know that I'm the person that can draw that line. Um, you know, I think we're going to, again, we're just going to see many different attempts to reach into people's homes and, and, and people trying to put products on people's bodies, you know, that, that um, are products that, that consume data out of these you know, out of people uh, that watch what we do uh, and create these new digital me's that will start emerging. Um, and, and then there'll be, you know, there'll be some that people accept and some that people reject, just as has always been the case. And uh, so I think the line I, I mean, I, I've learned one thing i am never really not. No one's really great at predicting the future. Um, <laughs> um, I'll, you know, I, I'm right half the time, maybe. Um, so I don't know, but I, you know, what I do know is there'll just be many attempts and, um, and, and the ones that peep that make people's lives easier and they're helpful. I think they will continue, you know, they'll become the products of the future. Okay. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, well said so um, when we look at you know the next five years and we see these crazy numbers like hundred billion dollar VR, arvr market it's going right. to become a trillion dollar we see all these big numbers but at the end of the day it's all about community interacting with each other and then buying certain things so right. retail has you know trading retail has been there for thousands of years and it has just taken different forms right. so 10 years, when you see the retail industry, on one hand, we have these hyper innovations in the Silicon Valley and the best, you know, moneyed countries in the world. And then you have the outskirts of India and Africa, where you also have millions and millions of people who don't even have food and water. We keep talking about this. On one hand, we are trying to reach Mars. And on the other hand, we're still struggling to feed people food and water. When you look at all these blockchain AI technologies, while on a Macro level, it feels like, okay, it, it's going to do more good than bad, but in practical solution, it doesn't really happen. Where do you see these big companies transforming and becoming almost like governance, governments controlling lives of people pretty much openly and not under the garb of all these laws? Like do you see that happening in the next 20 years?
1: Well, you know, companies like Amazon, um, I don't know if uh, hopefully this will answer your question, but like Amazon, you talked about the ecosystem. They have so many businesses. It's I think it's about 43, 44 subsidiaries right now. It's hard to keep up like they're constantly adding. And, you know, they have everything from Zoox, which is an autonomous uh, vehicle company that they purchased to, you know, the pill pack for you know, monitoring your drugs or your prescriptions that you have to take to, you know, to prime where they're watching what you're watching on video, you know, on the Netflix type um, uh, activities and to the echoes, you know, I've got a number of them in my house and, and the ring doorbell and, you know, you name it. It, it, And then let alone the purchase activities that are happening there, the whole foods uh, activities where you're grocery shopping. So companies like Amazon, will know more about us than any government, I believe, like way more. And and because of that, you know, and because they're very big into the AI, we know they've got some 10,000 AI employees a couple of years ago, you know, working on that. They're going to be able to kind of understand us as people, these large organizations, um, more than almost – any government, I suspect, uh, and and so you know the, they'll come into our lives kind of quietly. I think they'll it, it'll be quiet influence over us. Uh, I don't think the government goes away, but but if you juxtapose juxtapose that with uh, like China, China has huge movements underway to in AI in uh, blockchain. Uh, you know, these new technologies are very, very important to the government there. Uh, that's why we're seeing these clashes partly between, you know, the big companies there like the Alibaba's and and the government. And, uh, and they're actually positioning themselves with the blockchain to uh, require, as part of the, you know, the Chinese uh, laws, basically, uh, for the gov- for these companies that build these blockchain platforms to provide all the identity information to the government. And I, I don't think, you know, that's happening in China. That's reality today. It's a Baidu, you know, Alibaba company, Tencent. But here it's the opposite. The companies are trying to, you know, they're collecting all the data. They're not, you know, the government can't get easy access to it. So the government really, I mean, these companies are going to have uh, lots of, power over us. And I don't know. I mean, all we can do is hope that they use it for good for the good and that they use it to help uh, the average person or maybe even the, the underserved people like you were just talking about. And, you know, and hopefully the consumers um, vote with their wallets, you know, and, and promote those companies that that do good for us.
0: Um, uh, Thanks. Uh, So you're absolutely right. At at the end of the day, you know, it's the individual conscience that always takes over where, you know, we all go. Um, I wanted to bring up the uh, topic of digital me tech. You know, we are moving towards where all of us have social media accounts, but now from having just our social media accounts, we are all turning ourselves into avatars. And then AI is going to get into it. So if all of us are big, physically also going to represent online. That means there is a whole virtual retail world that is coming up with the convergence of AR, VR. You look at the Metaverse recently, uh, I think a designer bag got uh, sold for more money in a game than in reality. Right. So are you seeing a completely two parallel retail economy but connected through some sort of a super highway so that the... Uh, uh, economic uh, balances between the virtual and real world is actually used in the real world. How and where do you see this evol- revolution going in the next ten years?
1: Yeah, you know, um, Roblox, uh, uh, Tim Sweeney from Epic Games, Facebook—they're all trying to create the metaverse now, right? They're they're all talking about it and. And we're working with large organizations, um, retail, wholesale companies that are interested in NFTs and and where the metaverse is going. And um, uh, and, and, you know, how that's going to shape out in the future, because you're right, like uh, in the NFT markets today, there are, you know, sales of bags. Virtual. The virtual bag is selling for more than the physical bag. You've got a lot of artwork selling this way with the, uh, you know, it started with crypto kitties, I think, and now it's, you know, and now people are trying to look at how can I attach uh, NFT-type uh, uh, products to physical products and how can I enhance the physical product or how can I attach a ticket to an event to a physical product and then how can I uh, maybe create a chain of Um, a, a historical record of where, who has owned a certain product over time so that it has a little bit of a story that comes with it. And so I think the whole, the whole digital me, um, concept is super interesting because, you know, to me, the digital me is, it goes way beyond online. It's tracking everything we do online, but it's also tracking, you know, this is a whoop, it's tracking everything about the way I sleep, the, um, you know, my heart rate, the, um, uh, my recovery rates, my, uh, then, then they're, we're, we're working with a company right now that can see what you take in and out of, um, um, cabinets in like grocery stores and, you know, and maybe if, if it knows that it's me opening that cabinet in a store, you know, all these things will come together. It, I, if you have a Tesla, you know, we know where you've driven, if you're going to If you have a a phone in your pocket, it'll know where you've driven. And so all of this data that's collected, which, again, the 5G networks will enable more and more and more. um, As all of this comes together um, uh, into the digital me, it it creates this profile that is um, unprecedented. At the same time, products can have their digital me's, too, because of the NFTs and the blockchain, all the... Those records are going to get stored on the products, and so, you know, for a retailer, uh, the job has to be to understand those products and the digital means and marry up all that data, so you can understand the journeys of both of these things together.
0: So so you were talking about digital me. So to continue that conversation, uh, digital me is giving rise to a whole new class of entrepreneurs, I feel. I fall in that category, visual yeah. entrepreneurs. We can't code to save our lives. So companies and companies after companies and the top, five, 10 big companies are constantly talking about low-code, no-code tools. So right. for novices out there, like you are specializing in, you know, creating a whole ecosystem of low-code, no-code tools. So to our listeners and, uh, you know, audiences, if you could give a little bit of what Iterate does in terms of helping startups, what level of startups you're looking at, what kind of companies and how does this help the retail industry? If you could just give us a little bit of an insight.
1: Yeah. The, the, You know, in the past 40 years, um, I don't know, it's like 50 million apps and 40, 50 million apps have been built in the next uh, five years, another 450 million will, will actually 500 million will be built. So way more apps, but 450 million of those will be built with low code, no code tools. And uh, that's that's a prediction from Microsoft. It's another um, prediction from a big research firm. But the reason um, this is good for people like you and me is um, these tools, a lot of time, they come with pre-built um, modules. In other words, um, so I, I can talk about uh, our platform. Iterate has a, a platform we call Interplay, and it has 465 pre-built um, code nodes or little compartments that contain connectors into Oracle, connectors into SAP, connectors into Salesforce, you know, on the big enterprise side. Uh, and they, they pull data into, um, if you're building a prototype, they'll build, they'll bring real world data, you know, from a real company into the prototype itself. Um, we also have a lot of pre-built connections into startups. So if you're starting a company, you could pick your software and wrap it in one of these nodes, and all of a sudden it becomes available to anybody who uses this low-code platform. And so we've, you know, we've pre-wrapped a bunch of those technologies, and then we have, I think it's 34 pre-wrapped AI modules. And uh, the thing is, if you, to be an AI engineer, I think there are about two or three hundred thousand formally trained real AI engineers in the world versus, you know, 35 million software developers. They're, they're not the same. Like a lot of people uh, think a software developer could write AI, but it's not true in the true sense of AI. It's a very complex, um, you know, um, skill set that you need to do that. But, but these low code tools take the AI that's been built by these people that are formally trained and make those, available in pre-wrapped nodes so that a more a normal software developer, uh, you know, can can take advantage of that. And uh, so one advantage is speed. Like, that's one thing that you can get out of these low-code tools and because you're just dragging and dropping technologies together and you don't need to build anything really from scratch and we're seeing that the um the companies can build products anywhere from 10 to 17 times faster than the old traditional way yeah so speed is big and with that comes a huge cost savings right and and um because if you can go 10 to 15 times faster you you get done a lot faster and it just doesn't you know require as many man hours to get something done and then a third real big advantage to these low code tools is when you can get stuff done 10 to 15 17 times faster you can get them into um, a test environment a lot faster so you can kind of you can learn 10 times as much in other words if you can develop 10 times as many experiments or 15 times or 17 times as many experiments because you're able to move that much faster with the same number of people you can learn a lot faster and you know through trial and error which is an important part of the digital world, you know, learn by experimentation. And so uh, in my mind, you know, the, the advantages to using these low-code tools are, you know, any, every company should be using them, every, every company from startups to um, enterprise.
0: So the mindset itself is changing very rapidly where earlier companies would say, okay, I want programmers or I want a company to customize everything for me. So now the companies are customizing based on low code tools, not actually going down to coding from scratch. So that is one of the biggest revolutions that we see today happening. And that is why there is this whole horde of startups coming in trying to ride on the wave of low code, no code tools to try and come up with solutions. Right. Great. So now one of the things that I noticed over the last two years specifically is that the low code, no code tools has given rise to a lot of these visual softwares. Yeah a lot of these visual softwares where people like me, artists, they are coming uh, together, creating these virtual characters and then creating brands out of themselves. So retail industry is dependent on brand ambassadors and they kind of, you know, cost about 10 to 15% of advertising cost to these retail companies. Now the retail companies are going ahead and creating their own AI avatars to represent them in the market. How do you see that kind of thing impacting the digital economy, the digital retail, and the physical retail because the virtual influencers are also going to be hired to sell real-world products.
1: So your question... Uh...
0: So my question is that when you see virtual influencers competing with human influencers in trying to take a piece of the pie from the retail industry, how right. do you see that is that impacting the real world people and their value in this world when more and more digital influencers and virtual influencers are being thrown into the system, even the dead ones?
1: Yeah, I know. The whole world just seems like it's uh, dispersing more and more. You know, you all some companies get more. um, Some companies are becoming more valuable. I I mean, more powerful. You know, you talked about the haves and the have nots. But at the same time, a lot of the tools today are giving um, people access to more. Opportunities. So, in other words, you know, like going back to the low code, no code tools, uh, it makes it so that people that are not as skilled technically can bring stuff to life um, for lower cost and without the need of the technical talent. And, uh, you know, so an individual person can all of a sudden get a lot further easier faster, you know, um, with with different skill sets Uh, at the same time, the big companies that take advantage of that have an opportunity to um, to to work with smaller like Tiger teams and still, you know, and still be more competitive that way, too. But I think the thing is um, this in this day and age, uh, you can have competition coming from anywhere. It can be from that individual person, you know, any kind of influencer any kind of entrepreneur, uh, it could also come from a big company that just is able to move quickly and has a good idea and, and lets that company emerge or, or that idea emerge, you know, within its ecosystem. Um, so I think the, the world today has just become a lot more, um, unpredictable and, um, you know, and more competitive because of that. And and the thing is, it's not all about a big marketing budget either being able, being able to get the right real estate like it was in the old days. It's it's more about, you know, do you have an idea that resonates? And that can come from one person or two or, you know, big companies. So I don't know if that um, answered your question, Salda, but it's. Um, yeah, it's-
0: We are all basically in blue ocean. I think one of the uh, entrepreneurs recently talked about that, you know, all of us are in a blue ocean. We'll see how the world goes. So um, some fun questions. So if you had to make your own digital avatar, a virtual influencer, convert yourself into an AI avatar, what would that look like? If I...
1: Yes. Oh, my gosh. I'd, I'd probably... I'd be one oriented more toward exercise. And that's what I feel like I'm missing all the time now. I'm not, okay. I'm not able to, um, but it would be one that's more, even though it's digital, I'd be more physically active. I don't know. Like it would it, okay. be more, more than just sitting here.
0: Okay. So then, then the virtual VR, VR, you'll have the VR suit and you'll do VR
1: experience. Yeah, there you go.
0: Yeah, there <laughs> you go. Okay. So do you use, so are there any top like three? favorite tools go-to tools for you like social media do you have favorites
1: you know i don't i'm so busy working all the time i i go to facebook a little bit for my family but that's uh, actually fairly rarely i never go to twitter anymore it seems i okay i watch youtube like for this kind of thing i i learn i guess okay. that's what i do a lot of i i watch uh videos to learn a lot and and um so let's say youtube or vimeo or uh, yeah. and are you a, a
0: avid uh, listener of podcasts like the whole I, uh, revolution?
1: Tons of podcasts. I, I, I'm, I'm in the way top tier of Audible. Like, uh, you know, I'm way beyond any of the badges they give. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I probably listen to at least a book a week, maybe, maybe more. You know, okay. I yeah. So I, mean,
0: so I think so. So so given that we are all actively creating a dystopia for ourselves as mankind. Yeah, we are actively moving towards that 10 years from now. What do you think Or 20 years from now? What is humanity going to work towards? Because everything will be done by robots. What do you think 20 years from now? What are we going to be there for? A very philosophical question.
1: Yeah, you know, and I don't want to be political or anything like that, but I just hope, you know, working in the future like I do and like what you're asking about, um, I, I have a lot of optimism, but I have a lot of fear, too. And, um, you know, just I live in Colorado and I can see the mountains from my home, but half the days this summer or two thirds of the days this summer and most of last summer, we can't see the mountains because guess what? All the smoke is um, covering them from, you know, coming from California and the fires in our state. And and then you look at. yeah, I, I just hope the world uses technology to uh, make the world better for our kids. You know, fixes the climate, fixes a lot of the social injustices, fixes. You know, because because I think technology can help on these fronts. But what we don't want are the bad guys to take advantage of the technologies. And absolutely, you know, we were just looking at some tech the other day uh, out of Taiwan that that helps, you know, you can use it to improve uh, nuclear weapons. And it's just scary to see these things. It, it's, yeah. it's these pr- chips that will, you know, allow you to simulate certain things, uh, certain events. And, and um, I don't know, like, I just hope the good, like a lot of good people get really involved in technology to help us maintain um, the outputs of the technology.
0: So I think we need to f- figure out an AI, which will basically constantly talk about good stuff. So on that's that
1: right. note, yeah. yes. <laughs> and hacking on- actually scares me quite a bit. There's a great book called Sandworm um, that talks about uh, a lot of the hacking that's occurred um, you know, recently. And, and it's just kind of scary. I mean, it, it's it's kind of the armies of the future.
0: Yes, mm-hmm. and I do hope that you know there will be more white, like you know, shining white and shi- what what do you call like knight and shining armors in the yes. digital ages to help us not go into the digital art, dark ages because digital art, dark ages will be a thing if you are all not very careful. And on that very very you know <sighs> light note. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to make it this morbid, but thank you so much, John. I hope uh, you had a good time and I definitely learned a lot and I definitely hope to follow all your next-gen innovations. They're very, very exciting. Thank, thank you so much. You, if you wish to have a conversation with us, then email us at Corner at proxima360.com or visit our website at the retailcorner.proxima360.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Stay safe and see you next time.